theyeshiva.net. I'm going to go to questions. You can unmute yourself and ask a question. Um, Angela, you can ask. Angela, oh, you can ask. Okay, okay. Okay, so Rabbi, um, I understood everything you said. My question is, so when such a thing, such a tragedy occurs, what is it that we have to do? Do we, do we try to internalize it? Do we ask questions? Do we just say this is God's will and let go? And my question is, I know that in our world, logic is not everything. But how about in God's world? Does God do everything with logic and we just don't understand it? Or do just things happen? So I guess to say that I'm going to answer your question will be a contradiction in terms. But I'll just say this. I think that when we face uh, such a event, it's very, very important to appreciate the fact that we really can't understand Sometimes we're given glimpses of awareness, but we don't have today the prophets that can communicate to us the reason and purpose and exact uh, rationale for why these things happen. It's important to know that we don't know. We cry, we must support each other, we have to be here for each other, especially the family, to remain united and close and process it all. We want to remember that the soul is eternal and that a mother never really dies. Even when she passes away, she doesn't die. Her relationships with her children, her loved ones is eternal, even though we can't see it and touch it. But there's an element of terrible, terrible sadness and grief that we need to acknowledge and we really don't understand. We just can't understand why. What's the reason? What's the plan? What's the purpose? And I think focusing on trying to understand everything really deprives us from the ability to tune into the reality of it because the reality of it is so mysterious. Now you ask, is God logical? God sometimes does things that we can understand. A lot of the amazing beauties of daily living we're thankful for and we appreciate. But God is not logic. God is the creator of logic. And therefore, God's ways are mysterious. And there's no way that a finite human brain can grasp infinity. In fact, the fact that we can grasp anything is already a miracle. The fact that we don't understand God is really quite sensible. I mean, imagine I would take a four-year-old child and bring him in to a class on quantum mechanics or nuclear physics, the child will come out and say, it's boring, it doesn't make sense, because you can't expect him to grasp these ideas. Even though this child one day may grow up to be a greater physicist than the lecturer, because the difference between them is only relative, certainly to expect that the finite brain should really grasp the mysteries of life is untenable. Our brains are finite, our experiences are finite, we only see a very little part of it. And it's very humbling, but it's something that we really have to be able to understand. And there is a lot of pain. There are questions that we have, there are things that we cannot answer. And the approach I don't think should be that, you know, we want to really understand the reason, because I don't know that there is a reason that we can grasp. I don't even know if it comes from the realm of reason. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not God. If I would if I would know God, I would be God. One of the philosophers once said, I think what's more important is to ask ourselves, what do we do now? How how do we best deal with the situation? 
What's my mission? What's my role? I acknowledge the pain. I cry for the pain. I embrace the pain. I'm there for the pain and I have compassion. I have compassion on all those affected by it without judgment. And then I say, and now let's connect from this place and together let's see what is our role now? What is our mission now? What what do I really want to do at this moment? What does my deepest conviction and faith ask of me at this moment? Thank you so much, Rabbi. That was beautiful. So I'm Tamara, and I don't know oh. how to use chat. Yeah? You ready for another question? Am I on? You're on. We hear you. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi uh, Jacobson. I'm with you, so yeah. After, after all is said, if you were to somehow in your finite way describe Hashem in your own words, his essence, his, see, we use words I heard of, um, you know, the core, the essence, Kaniyas, peace. If you were to describe him in your own words, if you were to describe Hashem and your relationship with Hashem, what you would want it to be. That's a wonderful question. How would I describe Hashem and my relationship with Hashem? I have no way of describing Hashem, which was the topic of the class. So I'm not going to try to describe Hashem. We could describe certain aspects of Hashem's creation, and even that only to a limited degree, which means we could describe certain manifestations of Hashem, or certain ways in which Hashem displays His reality in our world. For example, if I am studying a leaf, or an insect, or a reptile, or a fish, or a bird, or a tree, or a heartbeat, or a flake of snow, I am really studying a manifestation of Hashem's energy and Hashem's wisdom. So we always can learn and come in contact with various manifestations of divine energy. To describe Hashem himself by definition is something that's beyond me and beyond anybody because I am a creation. And creation that cannot describe creator any more than this iPhone describing the identity and the inner world of the one who manufactured it, the one who designed it or the one who planned it, right? It would be ludicrous. Or have this cup describe its manufacturer. We have a brain, so we think we can describe reality, but we have to really acknowledge the limits. We have to acknowledge the limits of our reality, and this was really what I was trying to bring out in this class. So yes, there's so much that we can grasp but there's so much more that we can't. In terms of our relationship with Hashem, I think this explains what a powerful relationship is, a relationship on both levels. There's the relationship that comes from seeing Hashem in all aspects of life, constantly seeing Hashem in every moment, in every experience, in every encounter. And that's a relationship with Hashem because it's really understanding, like Yaakov Avinu, Jacob said, God is right here in this place, even if I don't know. That awareness, that God is right here with me, holding my hand, as King David says, even if I walk 
in the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear evil because you are with me. That comfort, that reliance, that resilience, the faith that comes from knowing that God is with you and with me and inside of you and inside of me every single moment, holding my hand, helping me face whatever the reality is right now at this moment and tune into its opportunities, to its potentials, that is, I think, a very powerful aspect of our relationship with God. Excellent. Yeah. No problem. It's a real lesson, a lesson in faith. Thank you. Any other questions? Any other questions? Yes, I have a question, please. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Marie and I'm from Lebanon. So I've been listening to you for uh, for a while and uh, you've been uh, speaking a lot uh, about uh, yes, Hashem and you mentioned many times uh, the vulnerability of the of the person when he's um, in trouble or maybe in um, in times of um, how do you call it um, despair or uncertainty and uh, since now we're speaking about logic so how can we use um, when someone is is vulnerable sometimes they don't like the person himself or herself they don't feel they are vulnerable but the other person in front of us so that they, they can feel uh, the the person is vulnerable so how in in this time do we use our logic or do we use our faith or um how, how do we overcome this? In, in which sense? How do we overcome what? If you could just the vulnerability and, uh, and the vulnerability and how um, how how can why do what okay I'm not why do we have to overcome vulnerability? <laughs> why I don't not? know. Like what do they mean when they say like someone is vulnerable, so the other person takes advantage of uh, uh, ah. like what do we, how do we understand oh, vulnerability? Good, and, uh, good yes, question. So. But I'm just curious. You were born in Lebanon. No, I was born in the States, but my, I live in Lebanon. You live now in Lebanon? The, now, and um, I grew up in Lebanon with my parents. But um, <laughs> when I was like in my, I studied, like I finished my education in New York. So, uh, and currently I, I I got stuck here. And hopefully like I can find a way out. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. Uh, interesting. Where in Lebanon do you live? Uh, I live in Beirut. You live in Beirut. Wow. Okay. I didn't know I didn't know that I have students in Beirut. I didn't know that I have students yes, in Beirut. I'm here. I'm here and all my friends wow. they are really like I talk about the, the Torah and how you teach and I use the logic and they love it and they say you are very much I uh, just say you are very intellectual and we like the way that people here that are not um, exposed to other culture and other um, uh, spiritual uh, uh, learning. And they find it, um, but I t- tell them like the Torah and um, and the Bible they are the same, uh, because uh, I was born uh, in a Christian family. But my mother originally, like her ancestors, are Jewish. But uh, but I uh, but since I but since I uh, when I when I went to New York and I got my education there, so I f- I really wanted to go back to my root and um, and study more and learn about it. And when I studied the, the history of religion and I started to get more into it. Uh, so I found myself there because at some point, as you said, uh, during my education, uh, I felt like, no, um, religion, what is religion? Uh, I, used, I used more my logic in it. But, but, but you were re- the reason why I used, I went back to my childhood and uh, I found that faith, it was uh, always within me. Wow. So this is what you said. Yeah. So you can, it's, 
like the logic in the Torah brought me back to my faith. Wow. Because I was, you know, when you, it's not about, to, nobody loses just like that. People go into stages of discovering themselves. So I went from, <laughs> from like being and uh, grew up in a Christian family. Uh, I'm more into philosophy. And- wow. Uh, Mary, Mary, we missed, we, we still hear you. I think you muted yourself. Or maybe somebody in Lebanon doesn't want you to listen to me. Okay, why, why? Yes. Can I ask you a question? Hi. Yes. Thank until you Mary, very... co- until until okay. uh, Mary comes back. Yeah. Thank you very much for every single morning. It's amazing, and I wrote you a little bit about a case I'm working on, and this year was so amazing. I was just wondering, is there any time that I could speak to you for your advice before this person Chas uh, takes care of their life, Rahman oh. Lislan? Yeah, yeah. You wrote to me. You wrote me an email. Right. No? Can I, I, I wrote you text. Just do me a favor. Re- resend the email because I was a little inundated. Resend the email okay. and I'll answer. Okay. You have Thank my email. You very much. My at yeshiva.net. Okay. Thank you very much. It's amazing. The chizuk and the chiyos that you give everybody that's listening is amazing. And you should be zecha 150 years with Mashiach to keep on having that. And when that's the- meaningful. Amen. I am like. Lebanon, Lebanon is back. One second. We'll go to you, Vicky, in a moment, okay? Yes. Hi. Sorry. I got disconnected because my phone, tur- um, I ran out of battery. <laughs> I thought somebody in Lebanon doesn't like me. <laughs> no. Everybody in sorry, Lebanon no, likes me? Okay. <laughs> yes. I want to ask you a question. How in the world did you find me from Beirut? Uh, I don't know. Like I. Okay. So I think through, um, I, through Rabbi... Um, I, I I forgot the name Pinkas Pin um, Rabbi Pinkas. He shared something through Yeshiva, and I and I saw one of your videos last year. Uh, during this time, Hanukkah, and you each night on Hanukkah you were saying a small story that teaches us a lesson. So I got attached to that more. Wow! Now your mother is Jewish. And my mother's origin is Jewish. She is uh, from Armenia. My mother's origin is she's Armenian. She and your, your mother's mother also Jewish? Um, I don't know. She, I don't know too much about the history of my mother, but I know my mother is from Armenia and she's from, uh, she always tells me she's from David, the son, and this is why she has the last name Tavitian or Davidian. Uh, but uh, they ran away to Syria, Aleppo. She was born in Aleppo, but she got married to my father here in Lebanon. So it's a very and your father, your father is a Christian or a Muslim? Your father? Yes, is a Christian? no, no, no. My father is Christian, but my father passed away. Uh, but he wasn't. A, he wasn't. A, he didn't practice the religion. So wow. um, you seem like an amazing person. It's an honor to meet you. Knows, my mother knows the, uh, like the Jewish uh, Torah more than me and more than anyone else. Although she was born in. Uh, so listen, how do you pronounce your name, Mary? Mary, how do you pronounce your name, Mary? Yeah. And my name is Marie Antoinette. Marie, Marie. Antoinette. So Marie, I just want to I want to encourage you. Maybe it's good for you to look in a little bit into the maybe with Rabbi Pincus to look in a little bit to the history of your mother, your mother's mother, mother. Because, you know, you may be uh, a Jewish girl. <laughs> yes, no, she tells me, my mother tells me, even my cousin, he told me. Uh, you descended of David, she, because this is why the last name was Davidian, so they adopted the, descendant of name King the David. Descendant of King David? Yeah, from Armenia, yes. Wow. 
Okay. Well, it's a real honor and pleasure to have you here. I didn't know. I didn't know that I have students in Beirut. I'm very honored. Wow. She knows a lot about the Torah, and she has the David, the the David Solomon, all the 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 book, and she knows like she knows too much. Eventually, she learned it from her grandmother in Aleppo. Amazing! Amazing! Wow. Yes. So, first of all, I'm so happy that you introduced yourself, and second of all. (laughs) Second of all, either I'll come with my wife to visit you in Beirut, or you come visit us here. I hope so. Oh my God, I hope so. (laughs) You have to come for Shabbat. I will come to New York and will visit you for sure. Because (laughs) after Corona, I'm not going to travel now with Corona. I'm I'm scared. (laughs) There's still Corona in Lebanon. Oh yes. (laughs) I thought the Lebanese know how to deal with their problems. No, I was joking. No. They have a mismanagement in everything. <laughs> okay, wow. What, okay, amazing. You have my email? Uh, maybe I can find it through your page. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Rabbi YY at theyeshiva.net. Rabbi, oh. R-A-B-B-I, Y-Y, two Ys, at the, 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 the yeshiva, Y E S H I V A. Yeah, I know the net. net. Yeah, that's easy. That's easy. Okay. Send me an send me an email so we could stay connected. Yes, and I yes, hope that we're going to meet in person, not only on Zoom, very soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I also want you when to send you something. When you send me an email, I want to send you something that I think will be helpful. Okay. I just want to answer your question. Yes. I, I I didn't forget your yes. question, and then we'll go to Vicky, yes. and then we'll go to Vicky. So the, the, you asked about vulnerability. So here's the issue. Okay. The issue is as follows. Number one, it depends who, it depends who you're dealing with. You always have to... Ast- let, me answer, let me answer Marie's question and then I'll go to the next. You have to know who you're dealing with. If you're dealing with somebody you can really trust or you're dealing with somebody that you're not sure you can trust... If you're dealing with somebody you can really trust, what do I mean somebody trusts? Somebody who will not exploit your weakness. Somebody who cares for you. Somebody who wants to be here for you, even when you're having a difficult moment. Then vulnerability is the best option and the only option. Because that's where relationships happen, in vulnerability. In the conversations where I say, I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed, I'm insecure, I'm busy with crazy thoughts. Those are the conversations where we heal, where we bond. It's the conversations when I say, I need you to affirm me. I need your love. I need your acceptance. I, and you t- I talk about my innermost needs, even if they're very, very stupid, so to speak. But that's what vulnerability is. Vulnerability is childlike. It's innocent. It's raw. It's naked. It's, there's, no, there's no cover-up, psychological cover-ups. That's somebody who you could trust, whether it's a sibling, a spouse, a parent, a close, close friend, a confidant, a therapist, a a mentor, right? We don't always have those people in our lives. Maybe we have one or two and then you're lucky. Maybe you have three and then you're very lucky. But then there are people that we don't have that relationship with. And here you just, of course, you have to know the boundaries and respect their boundaries and make sure they respect your boundaries, you know. I'm not going to walk around and tell every single person I meet everything that's going on in my life. 
I could still have real relationships with people, even if they don't know everything about my life. There are certain things that I will not share. We don't share with everybody. So you really have to distinguish between three types of people. People you can be very, very close to, and then vulnerability is the name of the game. People that you feel you just need very strong boundaries, you know, you can be acquaintances, but you need strong boundaries because there's just, it's not good for your health, it's not good for your growth. You know, it's just some people, whatever it is, my fault, their fault, it's just, I'm not growing from the relationship. You want to be around people that bring out the best in you. So those are the people, you're always nice and kind to everybody, we have to respect every person, but you need stronger boundaries. And then there is all the, you know, the groups of people in the middle, you know, it could be relatives, cousins, friends, just acquaintances, where there's a good relationship and an honest relationship, a very honest relationship. But yes, it doesn't mean that you're completely vulnerable with them because it's just the relationship hasn't reached that place of trust. And that's fine. We have to respect that. I can be close to somebody. I can care for somebody. I can be real with somebody, even though I don't feel that every aspect of my life, you know, I should be sharing with them. It's just, it's not that level of trust. And that's fine. So those are the three types of relationships I would define. You get what I'm saying? Yes. Okay, Vicky? Yes. Hi, Rabbi. Uh, so my husband passed away three months ago, so I'm grieving. And also Doreen is a best friend for me that wow. I missed her a lot. And as I'm grieving, my family all in London, and by myself with my son, I went through a lot of the community. They were very, very supportive in my life. Still, I feel like my sister in London tremendously like good that I share a lot of deep, deep, deep feeling, a lot of things that you said that I reached it from long time through my relation with my husband since he was diagnosed with cancer 12 years ago. And he left after 12 years, after they gave him six months to live, but he lived for 12 years and thank God he went through life. And I cannot really compare between him. Okay. He was 70, but Dorina was very young age, but grief is a grief no matter what the age is. What I want to ask you, whether me, whether her family, because we are grieving at the same time, how to really, attachment is very like powerful in life. Attachment, especially to a husband or to a wife, is extremely like beyond reality, beyond, you cannot explain, it's not emotion, it's not a food, it's not a money, it's not, it's not anything that you expect that somebody would give you comfort with. How do you go over this comfort? How do you go over this deep, deep sorrow that, okay, I will have like all this umuna and I will go to the deep. I will always go with my sister to the deepest, deepest level and the exception and the awareness that I am in. Okay, there is everything. Life limit. God wanted it to be in this way. There is a way that... I have to go out of this grief without I feel very, very painful. And like uh, there is time that I feel strong and there is time I will feel weak. And I'm sure the same with the family of Dorina. They will feel this because there is time that you feel things. Maybe I have done this right. Maybe I have done this wrong. Excellent question. It's always like you feel, wow, am I guilty of this? I am not guilty of this. It is to the point even like after his death, I have like um, a meeting with the doctor and then I say, did I miss any point? He said, you didn't miss any point, 
but God, after all, we cannot explain why he take him, which this, I explained it. But how do you go over your, like this attachment and you feel happy a little bit is happy that I cannot get it from anything else is happy is almost is impossible that I want him here. And I know hundred percent is, is impossible is nothing will give me a pleasure more than he's here. And I know it's right, impossible right. and I know life has to go. And I know I am so lucky to have everything and have my son and have my senses and have everything and have the knowledge from like everything. But still, there is something, it's an unexplained feeling that I don't think anybody can reach me at this point. Even my deepest, deepest, closest one, even like my sister, like she's very, very like my soul. She cannot reach exactly what I'm saying, but she feel what I'm saying. And she say, absolutely. That kind of feeling is just time can heal it. But I want your, your thinking here. Yeah. First of all, I am so, so sorry for the loss, both of your husband, of course, and of your close friend, Darina. And uh, there's really no words to describe how painful it is, how difficult it is, how challenging it is. And I'm just going to make a few points very, very brief. Uh, point number one is it's important to acknowledge the pain. It's important to have compassion for the pain. It's important not to repress the pain or deny the pain. And it's important to understand that especially in the first year, especially even later, but in the first year there's times that we're just going to break down crying, not to compare anybody's tragedy to anybody else's tragedy. But I remember I lost my father a, a number of years ago. He was 70. It was in the year 2005. And during the next year, I found myself in strange, unexpected moments, just breaking down crying. In my case, it was always before Shabbos. I don't know why, but Friday afternoon, I would be sitting in my office by a computer usually, and I would put on a Shabbos song, and I would just start crying, sometimes for an hour. And it was almost like I expected it. It was like, it was like this little sacred ritual connection. And there's no need to judge it when we ha- when we have when we experience such loss in our lives. It is normal to be not normal. Means it's normal to have all types of emotions, and we have to acknowledge it, embrace it, make space for it, have compassion for it, and realize that they will sometimes pop up out of the blue. I'm going somewhere. I open a book. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm taking a walk. I watch something. I hear a song. And I just break down, sobbing, a flood of tears overwhelms me. So I think it's important to accept that, that reality. It's a very serious transition. Losing a loved one is like an amputation. It's a piece of us that's gone. Even though the soul lives on, but as you said, we can't see it and touch it. So I think it's very, very important, number one, to understand that. Number two, This is step two, after step one. It's important also to think about the neshama of the person who passed away. The neshama finished its journey and now goes back to its place and eternal connection with God until after Mashiach comes and the resurrection and the soul comes back. And it's important also to have empathy for the soul and to ask not only what I'm feeling, but also what's the soul feeling and what does the neshama want from me? The neshama of your husband and of Darina, more than anything, want that you should be able to live a happy and productive and meaningful life, whatever that means in your life. 
So it's important to pull myself together and say, listen, yes, I would have rather that this never happened. I am grieving, but I also must ask not only what I want from the soul, but also what the soul wants from me, what your husband wants from you, what your friend wants from you, what God wants from you. I think that is extremely, extremely important. Number three. Actually, Rabbi, if I stop you here, one of the things that you just said, the numbers two, that's one of the things that, I always say, I know he passed away. I say, what does he need from me? Since actually he wrote it down at the end and he told me I want you to take good care of your teeth, your food, your exercise and your son. So he mentioned all this thing. But what I am saying, which always I go to there and always I say, even though he's passing, if he's around, what will he want the best? What what he want? Like he want my son which I expect even like with Doreen as there, the kids that they will be really laughing and having their dreams and everything. And based Beautiful. on that, yes, I will go and do what my son needs because my son also needs to go future married and everything and start life. So this one, I will go for it and I will do Beautiful. it with advices, with everything. But in yeah. the same token, like me, I feel that happiness that nobody replaces it how do I be like more? It's almost right. So what I would also add is what I would also add. I want to tell you one more thing, number three, and that is every day do something for the soul, and then realize this is how you connect now to the neshama, and to pursue that more is really disturbing the soul a little bit. Meaning we have to be respectful. Let's say my father passed away. Every day I would learn mishnayot. I would learn a mishnah or more for his soul give charity, do a mitzvah, say a prayer, light a candle, help somebody. And I realize now I am connecting to the soul. And after that, I'm choking it a little bit. So I think it's important to understand, just like in a relationship, yeah? You have to give your wife space. You have to give your husband space. You have to. I can't hold my kid a whole day like this. Same is true with a soul. Every day, do something for the soul. Connect to it. And realize you're helping the neshama. You're giving it special joy. When I do a mitzvah for a soul that it can't do here, it has an impact. When I say a prayer for a soul, it has an impact. When I learn something in Torah for a soul, it has an impact. When, when I do something positive in the world for a soul, it has an impact. And then I realized I did, and now it's time to let the soul be and breathe and move on with what I am supposed to do here in the world. And there is pain, as I said, there is pain. But I think that value is extremely important to appreciate. I want to say one thing to Mary, one, just one thing that I, 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 uh, somebody texted me, I should just say, and that is it's very important when we're in relationships with people and we feel that we could be manipulated or exploited to be protective of our vulnerability. In other words, you have to make sure that the person you're with in a relationship and you're being vulnerable with, you want to make sure it's a two-way street. There is real trust. And if there's a question in that, be careful because you don't want to get hurt in a relationship. I just wanted to, I wanted to add that. It's very important, I think. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you that, uh, <laughs> I wanted to tell you something very special. I see, I see that on the yeshiva.net, there are, uh, around 20 questions. I don't know if I can get through all 20 questions. The hour is late, but I'm going to go through some of them because we did the chat here and uh, and just mention a few points. I'm going to just do this very fast. 
I, I was going to ask the question quickly. Okay, I'll go to your question in a moment. Let me just take a few questions here from the yeshiva.net. Okay, give me a moment. What happens when there's a person in your life who decides not to keep Torah and mitzvahs? Well, it's painful. It's very painful. But it's important never to close the door on anybody and to make sure that the relationship remains very, very powerful, even though there is a lot of pain there. Um, I liked all your points about logic. I agree with you. You said it's important to be able to distinguish between what is absurd or ridiculous and what is valid. But who decides what's absurd or ridiculous and what is valid? The person who I may think is being ridiculous has used their logic to convince themselves that they are right, that their perspective is valid. Makes logic even more confounding and confusing. Maybe I'm taking it to the extreme because I do embrace and use logic. It's important to harness emotions. It seems that you're saying that the deeper yearnings, those things above and beyond logic, are really the more important, the more honest and sincere way to connect with God. I am saying that. And you're asking... Who decides what's absurd and what's logic? And the answer to that is, you're right. Everybody can justify any logic in the world. I promise that when Iran says that they want to nuke Israel, God forbid, they can justify it. And when the Germans wanted to exterminate every Jew, they justified it. And when Maid Sutung murdered 70 million Chinese, he justified it. And when Joseph Stalin murdered 50 million Russians, 50 million Soviets, he justified it. And with logic... I want to save the world. I want to build a beautiful, beautiful world. I can use logic to justify anything. That's why the verse says, Hashem. The beginning of logic, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Because you can really use your mind ultimately to justify the most cruel, stupid, barbaric things in the world. I know people who are abusive. They're abusive to their spouses and they justify the logic. And it's horrible, it's horrible. And they always have crooked and corrupt ways to use their rationale. Because the mind is a very, very pliable thing. You can play games. And sometimes you fool yourself also. You know, the Torah says, don't take bribes when you're a judge, because bribes will make you blind. They will make you biased. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that if you, you know, you gave me a gift of $10,000, I may think I'm thinking straight, but I'm not thinking straight. I want you to win the case. So I don't tell myself that I'm biased. I tell myself that I'm not biased. My brother told me once that somebody came for advice. And my brother says to him, you know, maybe you have a blind spot. So he says, yeah, yeah, I have a blind spot, but I know what it is, okay? So we always have to question ourselves. Is my logic biased? Is my logic blinded? And that's part of using logic in a healthy way to ask myself, is it absurd? Is it ludicrous? And ultimately, I don't know that we could prove anything through logic because people can always, always have another idea. But the point is that there is a certain absurdity if we, I think, very, very open to ultimate truth and we have a humility for truth. There's certain very powerful things that our mind can help us discover. It's a very, very valuable tool. But a person has to have humility, a person has to have openness, a person has to have vulnerability. And you're right, I think the genesis of wisdom is the fear of God. Without that, your wisdom will could be so distorted. I mean, you hear people's arguments, complete, complete, completely ludicrous. You know, I read an article that a, par- a child wants to sue their parents in court for uh, 
for giving birth to them without permission, and they want, therefore, the, ch- the parents should pay all their expenses, even as adults. They have to cover everything, because they're guilty, because all their therapy expenses and food expenses and clothes expenses and home expenses because the parents, because they decided to have the baby. Is that logical? <laughs> so I told this, is what they said, it's very logical. It's very logical. You decided to have a baby, right? So what's your answer to that? You see my point? Next. Most of us women are misunderstood. Most men don't understand the women's feelings and thoughts. I've always believed that men have an issue with our creation and development. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm not so pessimistic. I think there are men who are not ready maybe to communicate on that level, but there are men that are. And just to uh, say that all men are impossible and they'll never understand, I, I... I'm sorry I don't buy it. I know a lot of men who are humble and wonderful, wonderful people. And um, you can even ask my mother about me, and you'll see that I'm uh, one of those men. But my mother is biased. But just to say that all men have issues with women, I I don't think it's fear. I think there are men who have trauma, and there are women who have trauma with all due respect. There are men who have fear, and there are women who have fear. There are men who are responsible for dysfunctional marriages, and there are women who are responsible for dysfunctional marriages. I think the solution here is not to point fingers at men or at women. I think the solution is to have women understand what their husbands are experiencing and to have husbands understand what their wives are experiencing. Will every man be up to it? No. Are many men clueless? Yes, but many men are very open, and I think it's it's not fair just to dismiss all of them. I, I disagree with you. Uh, I know that today there is a very popular philosophy of women empowering themselves. They call it the, you know, the empowered woman. First the surrendered woman, now the empowered woman. But I think that's only if you're in a situation where you're stuck, meaning your man is really not ready to talk. He's not ready to see somebody. He's not ready to be challenged. But if somebody has a man who can communicate and you could communicate with them, now, I think that's always the first option. Yes, if somebody is in a marriage and the guy is just stonewalling you and there's no connection and there's you don't feel there's anything you can do on that level, I think you should still ask advice from somebody who really understands because there's a lot to do. But then you have to ask the question, what, what is my role? But if we can involve both of them in the relationship, it's always much better. That's my opinion. I think it makes sense. If men don't understand us, should we still express ourselves so we can be understood? Or do we just expect them to read our minds? You have to expect, tell them what you're thinking. It's one of the mistakes in marriage that we expect our husbands to know what we're thinking and feeling. No, no. Even if you're married for many years, we are not mind readers. Men have to tell their wives what they're thinking, and wives have to tell their husbands what they're thinking. There are some marriages where you could finish the other person's sentence, but those are more, those are very, very unique marriages. Very good marriages, the wife continuously tells the husband what she's thinking, and the husband continuously tells his wife what he's thinking. Do not get upset that your husband did not know what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Do not get upset about that. Many people today love logic. They stress it. They focus on it. Not only the Greeks. Maybe it's easier for them to do that because the other option is to be vulnerable and open and much too difficult. Yes, you are saying something very, very 
wise. The election has been making everybody crazy because we can't allow the unknown, seeming lack of reason and truth behind it. Yes. My friend asks me this question. It seems like hatred and violence are on the rise. Anti-Semitism, racism, bigotry. Is God telling us we need to reset our lives? Why did God bring the flood? I feel like I can't just tell her it's beyond logic. Not everyone has learned these concepts yet. It first has to be internalized. Well, a lot of, a lot of, we always have to look at events and see them as a wake-up call. When we say something is above logic, it doesn't mean there's no message to us. There's a deep message to us. It just means that we don't always understand exactly what is exactly the reason why it's happening, but there's always a message. There's always a response that is necessary. Okay, it's 11.47. I'll take another two questions because some of us probably have to move on with our day. So you wanted to ask here on Zoom? Hi, Rabbi. This is Vicky. Can you hear me? Yeah, but Vicky, let's yes. give a chance. Somebody else said they wanted to ask a question. Okay, I just Somebody... send you in the chat a question if you can just answer it. Can you explain more about giving space to the passing soul? Do you mean not to keep thinking about your life with that soul before it passed away? Well, listen, there is a, there's a thirst. We miss it. We cherish it. And that's normal. You can't run away from that. But I think it's important to understand that we have to let the soul go a little bit. We have to let the soul be in Gan Eden. It finished its journey. You know how, let me give an example. A mother nurtures her daughter. It's very hard to say goodbye and give her up to a husband. And the mother cries at the wedding. She asks herself, will her husband treat her as well as I did? It's sad. It's hard. But a mother knows that this is what the daughter needs. It's time to leave Tati and Mommy and get married. And in a funny and maybe sad way, when a soul passes away, we have to let go. We have to say, you know, there was a time that I had the privilege of being with this soul. But now this soul is in a in Ganadin. We're always connected. The soul will pray for me and I will pray for the soul. We'll do things for each other. A mother doesn't disconnect from a child after she gets married, but it's a different type of connection. I can't call every five minutes. Come, Basi, let's go shopping. She has a husband. Let's have dinner together. She has a husband. Let's go out. She has a husband. <laughs> I have to respect it. We're still connected forever. And we'll love each other. But there's a certain respect. When a soul leaves this world, we have to respect that. There was a special relationship that will never go away. It's sad. It's painful. We miss it. We want to stay connected. We stay connected. But I have to realize that the soul now is in a particular place and I have to let it be there. I have to let it be there. So every day I want to do something for the neshama and I know that I connected and then I let the neshama be there. And I have a mission to be able to move on with my life in this world. And it's a very delicate, delicate balance, but an important one. Thanks a lot, Rabbi. I think the metaphor is, a, is, is maybe a good, a good metaphor. Okay, I'll take one more question if there is. I know somebody before asked if they can ask a question on Zoom, but then I said I want to take a few questions from the website, from the yeshiva.net, so just let me know if you want to ask. Go, go, go. Yes. 
Um, thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask, is this, what are your thoughts on speaking to the person who's passed? Is it similar to what you were explaining to, to Vicky that it's kind of, you need to let go. And cause I've heard that some people do continue to connect in that way. And, and I've heard some sources that like, you're not supposed to do that. So I'm just wondering um, what's halakhically appropriate and if that's kind of like not allowing you to let go. It's a good question. And I don't know that there is one answer to this. If somebody feels like they want to speak to a soul, I don't think it's halakhically prohibited. We're not talking here about black magic and, and voodoo and, 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 you know, and, and burning incenses and, and doing these types of things. Of course not. But if somebody, you know, wants to speak to an ashama, I don't see the problem with it. But again, as long as it's not paralyzing me, if it starts paralyzing me, and that's what I'm doing all day, from morning to night, I'm just speaking to a picture, to the soul, it's, it just becomes not what the soul wants. It's, it's like I tell you, you marry off your daughter and you don't stop choking her. It's like, let's go out once a week, let's go out twice a week, let's talk once a day, fine. But you have to let her live and you have to live. You know what I mean? So I have to say, I'm going to do this for the neshama today. I'm going to learn Torah now from my father's soul, my mother's soul, my sister's soul, my brother's soul, for a child, God forbid, for a friend, whoever it is. And it's an amazing thing to do something for a neshama. You give charity for a neshama. You do a mitzvah. You do a favor. You build something whether it's a holy institution or organization, you print something that can bring goodness to the world, you get involved in some charitable organization or Torah initiative for the soul, whatever it is, there's so many beautiful things to do. Or you say a prayer for an neshama, you learn something in Torah for an neshama, you say a, a chapter of Psalms for an neshama, whatever that may be, it's an incredible connection, and the soul is forever grateful to you, and the soul thinks for you about you and prays for you and and intervenes and intercedes with God on your behalf. However, we have to have the respect that every soul has its journey, and I have to be able to let go, not because I don't like you or because I don't love you or because I'm not missing you, but because I respect the fact that you're in the place where you have to be. And it's, it's, hum- it's humble. It's literally, it's humbling. And you know what? It's even true when we're alive. You know, so, sometimes people want to control their spouses. They have to be with me all the time. It doesn't work that way. You have to give space. Here, it's obviously much more dramatic because we don't see them anymore. But there's a certain respect for the soul's journey and where the soul is. I'll tell you something unbelievably moving. Uh, when I was a child... I think in 1983 maybe, it was before Passover, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory held a fabreng in a gathering. Yud Aleph Nissen is his birthday, the 11th of Nissen, 83, I think it was. In the middle of the fabrengen, the Rebbe said that on Passover, Pesach, we asked the four questions. Before we asked the four questions, there's an introduction that many people, especially in the Ashkenazic world, begin the four questions with a statement in Yiddish. Father, I'm going to ask you four questions. And the Rebbe said that his predecessors, the great Rebbes of Chabad, would say that before they asked the four questions, even if their fathers passed away already. So they would sit at the Seder and say, Father, I'm going to ask you four questions, but their father was not there. So the Rebbe said, 
Because when they said father, it was real. Their father came there. Their father's souls, which were in the, were in the world of truth, came spiritually to the Seder, so they could say, Father, I'm going to ask you four questions. And he started to cry. He may have been thinking about his own father, who he hasn't seen in many, many years, from when he was very young because of him leaving Russia, and his father was exiled, and he died in, in the Soviet Russia. But in any case... He said, it's not simple to take a soul out of Ganeiden. It's not something you do. You don't just schlep a soul out of Ganeiden. It's not simple. But this shows the power of the Seder, that on the Seder night, they were ready to do that. They were ready to t- bring their, take their father out of Ganeiden, bring him here, so they could say, describing the powerful bond between father and son, between mother and son, between mother and daughter, between father and daughter, and the uniqueness of that connection, especially on Pesach. So I learned then, he was so emotional that it's not simple to just take a soul out of Ganeid, and it's a very sensitive thing. So I think we have to respect the fact that a soul has its place, we bond with it, we do something for it, and then we realize, let the soul be, and I have to move on into building and creating a beautiful life here on earth with the values and the inspiration and the love and the connection that I received from that neshama, which will continue forever. Rabbi, Vicky, again, if I can ask you more one question, it will help me. Maybe it will help Dorina's family also. How do you go over, like, I loved him, I gave him everything, Supposedly, one day I argue with him, and one day he gets angry with me, and one day, whatever. Like, you remember moments that he was, maybe we are, maybe we did something. I shouldn't be arguing with him. And maybe, I know we are a human, and always Dorina used to say in her class, we are a human, and we cannot really go beyond, like, our humanity. We're still going to make a mistake, and we're still going to do a lot of different things in life that we are not really God. And I love her lecture. I always like even thinking about her lecture as I'm going through my grief. But here, still there is a moment that I will go to that. I say, maybe at one point, I know a lot of people, they told me you did everything, but whatever people tell me, still there is things inside of me. Maybe I said, maybe at this moment, he was. I was arguing about with something with him and he wasn't feeling well and he didn't respond well at that time because he wasn't feeling well. And now I know because he was sick and he was maybe acting in this way. He was ignoring, which I think, oh, he wasn't ignoring. He was just tired. So how do you go over this feeling? I am sure there is everybody when he, you lose, whether your mother, father, I lost my husband, Dorina and her husband and her kids. I'm sure there is moments that we have this. And as I remember, Dorina used to mention it a lot in her class, the relationship in the house. So how do I go over this kind of, I call it guilt. And then when I go over it with myself, I see the good things that I did. They say, well, maybe, yes, I was a human, but still it will hurt. So how, how do I go over this hurt and how you advise maybe Dorina's family, if they have any issue, I don't know anything that maybe one day the daughter or the son or anybody say, mom, I don't want to do this. And mom got angry at that point and then she forgive them. I know there is a not really like hate. It's a severe, deep love when you really connect in this way with your family. But I I want to hear it from you. Yeah, it's a great question. How do we deal with 
moments when we felt that we were disrespectful or there was anger or misunderstanding between us and our loved ones and then they passed away and we still feel guilty for it. And the answer to that is, I think that we don't have to feel guilty at all. We have to celebrate the fact that we're human. And as humans, this is part of the relationship. In other words, if the relationship ended on a sour note with a lot of resentment and negativity, then it's a different story. But it didn't. It ended up with love and with understanding and with caring. Darina with her children and with her husband and with her brother and sister-in-law and mother and the other family members, the extended family and the community. The same is true in your case and your husband. Did we make, do we make mistakes as people? Of course. Thank God. We're not angels. You expect a marriage to exist in a world, you expect people to have marriages where they don't make any mistakes, where husbands never say the wrong thing, where wives never say the wrong thing. I mean, come on. So I think when we feel guilty about that, it's like feeling guilty about the fact that you're human. You don't have to feel guilty about the fact that you're human. You celebrate the fact that as a human being, you can serve God and fix mistakes and always grow and become better and better. We never have to feel guilty for being human. We never have to feel guilty for making mistakes. We just have to learn how to correct our mistakes. If you really feel that there is something unresolved between you and him, so in the right time, you can discuss this with your rabbi. You can go to his grave site and apologize if you really feel that you need to do that. I'm not sure. But if you feel that there was something that was deep and was unsaid and there was no closure and um, there was resentment... No, on the contrary, Rabbi. What, what's happened here, like, as the there community is closure. know me, as the community knows me and I know myself, I did every... I'm the person that I will do so every, was, every single thing so from then, the last then, moment. Then, then you drive. Then, I, then you shouldn't. Then, then I don't see. I think. I mean, it's to just... the point. To the point. If I tell you, the last six months, he used to tell me, "You are like, extremely tired, and do not like, expect me. I will like be the same, like twelve years ago. How I guide my journey. I am still tired. My my heart is tired, and my body cannot take it. And he used to tell me, "I want you right. to relax. Yeah. I want you not to go for so, this." So he used to make me like, "I want you not to." cook anymore i want you really to relax so we reached to a point like it's almost i'm feeling guilty even for this talk that he said i love him so much to the point i don't want him even to feel that i am tired from anything even okay. that it will make me so you're, you're the quintessential you're the quintessential jewish mother and wife i think it's time to get over any guilt and realize you did whatever you were supposed to do you did a wonderful job you were there for him through thick and thin, you allowed him to leave this world with love and dignity and compassion and understanding, and he is forever grateful to you. And let go. The Yetzer Hara, the negative inclination, likes to make us feel guilty and depressed, and this wasn't good, and I should have done this, and I could have done that, and I should have said this. It's really coming from the toxic forces inside of us. And they're, they're thoughts, but do not allow them to take any control. All you should do is have gratitude for the time you had with him and the opportunity that you had to be there for him and he had to be there for you. And that that special bond remains, and I think the focus now has to be, as I said, the future. I would suggest to you, since you're speaking so openly, I think there's a lot to process here. So I would suggest that you should find somebody you trust in the community or outside of the community 
to speak to. I think for it's just very difficult. It's a difficult thing. I think it's important to have a, somebody that can help you process the different emotions. I think find somebody on an ongoing basis, maybe twice a week or three times a week or once a week, just to be able to help you process because it's 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 a very difficult emotional experience you went through, both with your husband, of course, and now with such a close friend. And I think it's just, it's very helpful when we have somebody to speak to. I did a lot of that with my sister in London. Okay. And I have to mention something. Dorina had gave me a flower and the month of my husband. When I came from cemetery, I saw her in front of my door. And she went to my garden at the time and she was looking and she was amazed by the vegetable. And she took a zucchini, big, big one. And she left and me and my husband, we used to talk about her and he used to know about her. And he told me, you love her so much because the way that she was thinking is something like the way that I used to think. We used to talk every Saturday about Torah and about deep, deep level of what does it mean human? What does it mean love? And what does it mean like deep inside? And her lectures were so powerful. I will share it every Saturday with him. And he got to know her through me. And she got to know him through me. And we, there is time that I really discuss a lot with her. And I feel like both of them, like they know things that very, very deep. And they left. Right. Listen, as I said, it's very hard. And I, I can only bless you to have all the strength you need. Maybe you could join us with our classes here. If they could be a comfort. And the main thing is that you should realize that all the energy and the wisdom they gave you are now part of you. And you can forever connect to that inside inside of you because the light that people give to others remains theirs forever. And as a result of that, I think you should just realize, you know, that you were blessed to have them in your life and they were blessed to have you in to have you in their life, you know, it's mutual. And and that blessing will continue and it will continue for generations. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.